In this episode of The Generational Perspective, we are joined by John Kamaya. Our discussion is about ethics of care, American society, and the slippery slope that is individualism, which our culture promotes. Make sure that you subscribe and turn notifications on so that you never miss an episode. Enjoy. So, John, uh, yesterday or the day before, we were talking a lot about just how ethics of care on campus are taught, especially like in the liberal college sense, how they are taught in all the classes and whether or not it is applicable in everyday life or even in like the work life. What do you think? Um, I think in relation to workplace habits, um, ethics of care can go a long way in the sense that it teaches a lot about morality and compassion and how you should care for one's feelings. But in a pragmatic sense, I don't think it has a sort of function because it's solely reliant on feelings rather than function. It cares more about the way someone feels rather than what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, example, let's say triage in a hospital. Mm-hmm. You can't diagnose two people with the same problem and then prioritize one over the other because they say that they feel worse or they give a pain rating that's worse than the other. There has to be some sense of objectivity uh, that's placed upon ethics of care for it to be effective. And I think that's something that sorely lacks when it's taught here in uh, a liberal arts sense. Yeah, I think that one of the one of the difficulties with ethics of care in terms of it being applied to any sort of system is trying to decipher whether or not, like especially like that example of triage, like when someone's feelings comes in, when someone comes in, they say, oh, I'm, I'm fine. How can you medically deem that person as being fine? They can say they're fine and their heart can be giving out. Or the exact vice versa, and they say they're, co- or or they can uh, say that they're not fine, and turns out they're fine, and that person could be taking the space of someone else. So I think in a systematic way, I would agree it's it's very hard to apply that, but I think it also speaks truth to. Um, I think it's I think it's good in a, in terms of the social behavior, in terms of a cultural means of like that we are relational, and that is that does matter, and. I think it, it ties everyone together, and it's uh, it's very good, and I think it's good in the community, but I don't know in terms of, like, systematic approaches like workplace or, um, you know, hospitals or military and et cetera. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. Um, it's very hard to put it into practice because you and me, Mac, we're, we're pretty, like, hardline people. We have to quantify everything. There has to be a cause and effect, a rational answer or an objective response to things. But ethics of care is a sort of fluid Mm -hmm. uh, ethical system in nature. And the thing with uh, fluid things like that and that care more about feeling is that they they can't really be quantified. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're trying to take ethics of care and uh, colleges like Loyola are trying to teach them in a fashion that can be applied Mm -hmm. to everyday life, although it can't because it serves no function yeah it's there's a place for it it's just finding the place to put ethics of care is is tough because it's not so much that we disregard feelings yeah it's more we put them on the sideline and process them separately so that we can do things in a more objective uh fashion if that makes sense yeah it does um one thing that i find kind of contradictory in in the uh in the opinion of ethics of care is the whole basis of it is relational, right? So uh-huh. it's, it's all community-based. It's all relational in terms of a social sense. But then when it comes down to deciphering whether or not someone needs care, like actual medical care, or whether or not someone's um, uh, uh, worthy of some sort of job position, let's say, uh-huh. when, it, when it comes to deciding one person over another in terms of any sort of system, I think it's hard because everything's relational, but at the same time, when someone feels this way or someone feels that way, wh- where is how do you decipher which one to pick based upon those? And then if you were to pick a, a person, wh- how would you, wh- who would you give the job to? Someone that cares more or someone that needs it more? Ah, uh, yeah, that's a tough spot because then you start to dive into identity politics, and then that's where things get dicey. Are, are we off limits for that? No, I don't think we're off limits, <laughs> but we should like refrain a little bit from yeah, getting yeah, too yeah. political. No, I feel sense. that. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to dive like too much into the eggshells. Yeah, but oh. that's. But it does. But it, it is. It is safe to say that 
like Loyola, when it comes to ethics of care, does push uh, more of an identity politics kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that can't necess- that's not necessarily, I mean, it is good that everyone talks about that kind of stuff, but it, like you said, like for that to be incorporated in every single aspect of working and how people run a business and stuff like that, it's just not that's tenable, you know? Yeah, there's a place and time for identity politics, but I think it's it's too immersed mm-hmm. in what has become our everyday lives, yeah, where yeah. it takes precedence over things, like mm-hmm. policies like affirmative action, in that they penalize uh, white and Asian students uh, with higher SAT scores than, say, uh, other minorities. Yeah. Or getting accepted in, like, in admissions, you know, like, with a diversity and whatnot, which is good, but it's also, there's also a part of it that I think is just unfair. Like, you know, if you, if you have, like, a, if you got, like, a 500, I mean, like, a 1500 on the SAT, and you had, like, a 4.0 GPA, and then you don't get over someone else of, like, because they want, like, someone from, like, the Pacific, like, from yeah. the Pacific Islands or something. Like, there's some, there, there's something great about diversity that I, I, I do understand, but it's also just, it's also just not fair to the person that puts in the time and effort to make those grades. Because regardless, the whole point of this is to see people as just people regardless of what they look like, mm-hmm. right? So wouldn't that mean that you should be appreciating effort over what they look like more? But there's this, I think this is a more new-aged concept, but the idea of colorblindness and that you don't see color and how that's a bad thing when you apply it to, like, you know, a diverse group of people. Hmm. I think it's almost a, a radical concept. Like, uh, hmm. I don't know how to articulate so this. So I, I have a question. So do you think it's better to see people as, like, colorblind, where, like, you see it's, like, ever, like you, don't even, you don't even look, or you don't even you try to, like, ignore, like, their skin color in a sense? Or do you think it's better just to, I mean, that's, I don't know how to word this. I guess, like, like what I'm saying is, like, is, do you think that we kind of look at this as, like, you try to look at someone as if you're colorblind, like you said, or do you just see them for what they are and then move past it and try to not? Do you kind of get what I'm getting at? I, yeah, I I know what you're trying it's to almost hint like, at. Are you trying to ignore it or are you trying to accept it is what I'm saying. I think it, we should go about it by accepting it. It's Yeah, it's always but, the latter. But it's the only reason why I ask is because sometimes it seems like it's almost like uh, you, you kind of get pushed this colorblind-esque prompt. Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. – you, you can never ignore it. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I stare at you exactly. and we're, like, different, of course. No, we're exactly the same, but, John. But we're, yeah, we're, we're, pretty <laughs> much, we're pretty much the same. Um, except, but, except you're prettier. Aw, thank you. No, yeah, you're prettier. Okay. We'll get right back up. We'll, we'll get we'll okay. Get, oh. Well, no, I'm, but, like, alongside this, like, I was while you guys were talking about that, I was thinking about, um, like, the idea of, like, identity politics and, like, just, I mean, just this past week, uh, in the Biden administration, you know, that big train crash that happened in East Palestine, Ohio. Um, Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, was at a event or something talking, and he did not once mention what is probably going to be the worst ecological disaster in modern United States history. Rather, talked about how uh, rail workers are too white and they need to be more diversified. Completely, oh. completely ignoring the Damn. horrific atrocities that are going on in Ohio right now, the cover-ups and everything, and talking about how there needs to be more diversity in real workers. And sure, of course there does. I mean, all the opportunities need to be open for everyone. But pushing that kind of narrative over the what is going on right now in Ohio, it looks like Chernobyl currently. It's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. I think that forcing it and trying to make every single workplace or every single field or topic completely diverse in any sense if it's skin color or gender whatever you name it i think that's just so forced i think the only i think the best way to go about it is making things open to everyone and letting them go into the fields that they desire Mm -hmm. because it almost seems like if you want to diversify every single field it almost seems like you're swaying the people's actual intentions and and interests Mm -hmm. it seems so unnatural Uh, yeah i want to add to that so uh in my ethics class at eight in the morning uh, there is a discussion going on about how uh, women are not in STEM or they're not being given the opportunity to be in STEM roles. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and one particular company, I think it was IBM or uh, some other tech company, but um, they gave the example that uh, they're being discriminated against for not being in that workplace and that women should be given more opportunities to be in, in tech positions. 
but at the same time, everyone was making a fuss over it. I wanted to, you know, ask how many, how many like of you girls in this class are computer engineering or computer science majors? Mm-hmm. And uh, the first day of class, I remember distinctly that all of them were something in liberal arts or psychology or mm-hmm. speech pathology, something of the like. But it's it's just like you can't force someone who's yeah. like. You get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, like, exactly. And also, I think people, I I think people are focusing too much on the look of something. People are focusing too much on the diversity or or what it looks like. But I, no one ever asks the question as to why people are interested in the things that they're interested in. Yeah, it's completely normal and fine if women don't want to go in the STEM. There's nothing bad about that at all. I think that claiming it as an issue in and of itself is an issue if women don't want to go into stem so be it if they want to go into stem so be it just let them do what they want to do and stop forcing it that's how i see it yeah it's just like i i don't understand what more women in stem positions will do other than you know meet a diversity quota exactly it's like we need we need more women and people in color in stem fields but Mm -hmm. What is that going to do in effect? Like, how will they change things? If it's, it's at all? not even about like how they would change things, it's just whether or not they're interested in it to begin with. Yeah, that's yeah, that's my that, whole thing. That's it's like, the, why are we forcing them? Just let them do what they want to do. It's because they're not interested in it. It's like they, and there's they nothing want, wrong with that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And if they are, and if they are, I mean, sure, like maybe, I guess, there's a stereotype that like more men would want to be computer science majors yeah. because I guess like more men seem to be more inclined to use computers or play video games or whatever in yeah, that sense. That, but, like, it, even still, like... Even like, still, I, I couldn't be a computer science major anymore. I mm-hmm. took one semester of that, and I just had to do it. It's, it's like it's, it's for the faint of heart. Same. Right? It's, like, it's, it's not, not for, for the faint of heart. Yeah, and, like, I mean, and also, I don't really see much... I don't really see much advocating for men to be in women's fields as much either. Mm. Well, like, there actually is, like, male nurses are very much sought after. But like besides nurses, like the one huge stereotype of like a female workplace. What other one? Teachers. Teachers, I guess. Yeah. Is, I've I've never heard of that. Really? I no. mean, I mean, I've probably with all of my teachers, my entire life, I definitely have more women teachers than men. Yeah, for True. sure. True. I think I, I've had I've heard a push for men to be in a women's field. Yeah, because though. no, there there will never be. There's I've that double standard that. that always exists because men have everything. Mm-hmm. But also, like, too, um, like, for example, like, uh, your finance, John, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then Aiden is, like, both communications and psychology. I, I'm just psychology and sociology myself. And here, I mean, granted, it is the, the school itself is, I think it's, like, almost 60% women. So that does play a key role in it. But also, like, psychology major, I think it's something like lower 90% are women, you know? And I don't, I've never, I've never felt, like, like I needed more men I to accompany men. me yeah, i just i just i go into psychology because i like it and i'm interested in it yeah. and i don't think about the diversity mm. i could i could care less if it was literally 99.98 percent women and i was the only guy because that's what i'm interested in i don't care about how it well, looks in terms of diversity i think in regard to um psychology there are probably more women in that in the psychology field because more women are probably more in touch with their feelings and how to how to like enunciate them and stuff like that the men are men tend to bottle them up and in turn don't want to get into anything that has to do with mental health i think it's also i i don't know if it's that i don't i think that's kind of mm, i don't know if that's fully that's just me that's just me being speculative yeah i i think it's more about what people are interested in yeah now if you look at any i I mean seriously if you look at the majority of the um workplaces that men and women tend to go in in terms of stereotypes the men are always interested in some sort of thing or some sort of car. That's why most men are in STEM. It's technology. That's why most men are construction workers or, or what you name it. And you look at the majority of the women's field, it's nurses, therapists, psychologists, teachers. It's all related to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's all related to people. And that that's something that is shown across the board statistically along the masses. And that's something that I think should be accounted for. So when we look at these topics like diversity, we say, well, a lot of women like to go in these fields. You can you can you can say, um, oh well, you know. I hope those women don't feel like they have to be pressured to go in those fields because other women go in those fields. You know what I mean? But you could also look at it from the to, to the side is like, well, a lot of them are interested in that, just like a lot of men are interested in tech and business. And like, maybe you should interpret that as what if there are some differences of interest, and if that is true, then how can we go about this in a way where we let people do what they want and not look at it from it from a standpoint of oh, this person is better than this person or that person is better than that person. Just let people do what they want and yeah. stop looking at everything in a monetary value. Hmm. 
You know, I think that's yeah, one I of the agree. biggest problems is that everyone looks at jobs and and um, diversity and distribution in terms of wealth. What what the, what what's so wrong about you know someone going into a topic that they like and they don't like making money? It it, it doesn't have to be about um, you know. Uh, unequal distribution it's like that person decided to go into that if if if, if the society if the state de- deems that profession or that topic is not getting money then like that person knows that but also like what why are you working are you working for money you're working for happiness and just because you can work for someone like you can work to make yourself happy right and mm-hmm. that's what you want to do and then you could also have some like social wave behind your back saying that this person needs to be getting you know this is unequal and this dude's like what the fuck is this guy saying i'm just doing this because i like to like stop speaking on behalf of myself you know people are too pressed about everything being equal all the time and in 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 terms of capitalism like nothing's equal nothing's ever going to be equal there's always going to be competition in that sense you know just like how tech dominates the world right now now if you go into tech you're going to be probably you know making some sort of money you know, and there's some fields that don't make as much money. It doesn't mean that it's less important. It's only less important when you put a monetary label on it. Hmm. So instead of criticizing everything from equality of money, just do what you like. People lost what is important, and that's just being interested in what you like. Yeah. There's too much of a political um, incentive. Just do what you like and stop forcing people to think that they should or shouldn't be doing something. You know? I want to go back to your previous point about. Uh equality in an unequal world yeah and i think there's a very big disconnect i think in the education system and uh how it preaches equality and how everything should be fair Mm -hmm. and the society we live in like once you graduate school nothing's equal anymore you live in a purely capitalistic society i think education primarily now the world of academia is very femme centric in the sense that uh it's an even playing field you're basically in a bubble most of your teachers are uh, women, and you're taught that everything should be fair, everyone has equal rights, and then you get out in the real world, and suddenly you can't get a job with, like, your speech pathology degree. Not knocking anyone. Yeah, but, but it's, it's the case because, like, more and more people are getting college degrees. That's true. But then yeah. you go out on Indeed or some other website to look for a job, for example, and it's, like, requirements, Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor of Science, and then the, minim- and then the hourly rate is just minimum wage. Yeah. You know, it's like... There's too much – more people are being educated, but in turn that creates just more competition. You just need a lengthier resume as a result. I think not everyone is supposed to go to college, and I don't say that in a bad way. I think too many people are going to college. Yeah, too many people are going to college. The system uh, implemented before or originally was made so that, like, if you were smart and educated, you were going to college. If not, you were working a trade job. But it's made in a sense – or the path for high schoolers now is made so that you're destined to go to college regardless of yeah. who you it's, are. It's, almost, it's just the natural next step to go. Well, it's also just a business in and yeah, of itself. Yeah, it's, it's a business. Like you see uh, these textbooks that these professors wheel out. It's like they wrote the they wrote the textbook, the professor teaching the course. Yeah. So you're just getting their perspective on the course, which might not even be object, uh, objectively <clears throat> correct. And I'd argue that it's not. It's just their take on whatever the course is. And on top of that, they sell it at the bookstore that bumps it up, what, like another 30%. Yeah. And then on top of that, the professor gets a little commission off of it. So it's just like a self-repeating cycle mm. of college is just one big economy that never runs out of money because you're just fed this this whole thing for like since you were born that you have to go to college, you have to save for college, and then the next step is like getting a job somewhere and then retiring. Mm-hmm. That's a very industrialist model that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and in turn, that kind of model when when that model is implemented, a lot of people like aren't able to cope with the fact or actually understand the fact that they're not gonna walk out of college with a six figure salary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, That's they're gonna huge. they're gonna probably walk out of college and make at most sixty five, seventy grand, unless you're like in a crazy competitive major uh-huh. which are far and few. Yeah. Um, and it just it's creates like kind of like I mean, none of us have experienced yet, but I can only imagine like a, a shell-shocked kind of feeling where you're like, oh, shit. It's like you've been lied I've to. I've been lied to. I've been doing this whole – like I've been working my ass off for the past 22 or 23 years, maybe even 25 if you go to graduate school Yeah. with this idea and this conception that when I get out of there, all of it will be paid off. All of it, all of it will, will help me, and I will be in a perfect setting to have a 
perfect future and you get out and you're like, oh shit, there's 500,000 other people that have the exact same idea as me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? And, and it, I, think, it, I think we're graduating into a recession. We probably are going to graduate into a recession. We're graduating to a crazy ass world. Yeah. You know? But it just, it, it, it just, the mental health aspect side of it, like the mental health side of it, when you get out of there, I'm sure like there's rates of, um, antidepressants and stuff like that are going up or getting higher and higher for people in their early 20s, people fresh out of college and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why. It's because just like this whole system that... It's analysis paralysis. Yeah. Honestly, there's there's just so much choice that we have today that it's it's paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Like we have so many of the answers that we have none. Yeah. If yeah. we know everything at the, the touch of our fingers, you don't even have to go to the store anymore. You could one day ship it off Amazon. Mm-hmm. We've created so much and we've won so much that we've lost, I, in my opinion, the human experience in the process. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think about this question a lot. Um, so when we think about technology, it's really just stuff that makes things easier for us. Yeah. And you could look at it from the perspective of like, well, we're just figuring out things to allow us to be a little bit lazier. Now, that being said... Do you think that technology, like in the grand scope of things, do you think technology is actually good for humanity in the sense of like, wh- like what's the point of humanity? Is it to, is it to like just sit here and then figure out new inventions so that we all can just figure out what we want whenever we want? Or do you think it's there's there's something special about not having as many um, choices or opportunities and living with what you have and like that's. That's tough. It's a heavy question. Yeah. Uh, you know Ted Kaczynski's, uh, his big quote, the industrial revolution and its uh, consequences mm-hmm. have been disastrous for the human race. Mm-hmm. I kind of stand by that. I don't, I don't like what he did, the whole Unabomber thing, but, like, I understand where he's coming from. Like, you know, the whole fantasy, the guy fantasy, you want to, like, run away and live in the woods for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know that one yeah. quite well. But that's... That's honestly what we want. Like, we want to escape like this this kind of prison that we form for ourselves by creating all this technology. It's like there, there's nothing to experience anymore because it's almost as if we've created everything. The world mm-hmm. has become so flat that you don't even like walk up to a job recruiter and drop your resume in. They'll just pull you from wherever you are halfway across mm-hmm. the world, and if you meet the requirements, they'll fly you out and relocate you. I think also one of the, one of the toughest things that people deal with, and I, I even notice it myself, is when you're on your phone, and you, whether this is on social media or even just the internet, or even just looking at your phone itself, like it's just amazing. Like these people that create these things are just utterly brilliant, and I have so much respect for them. But I think a problem in and of itself is that when you look at all these amazing things, twenty four seven, you hear about on the news, this person breaks this ridiculous record. This, you know, this person makes this much money. This person can do a triple triple backflip. You, you're seeing videos of, like, if you play sports, the best professionals of all time with, like, the best um, uh, nutrition plans and, like, like just the, the best the best of everything. You mm-hmm. see, when you're an artist, you see the best artistic paintings. When, you, when you're in communications, you're seeing the best people in their field with impressive YouTube channels. You just see the best of everything, and then as soon as you put that down, the world just suddenly gets mundane. It gets dull. And then how yeah. do you put yourself in all of that? How do you feel good about that? You know? It's, I, I'm not saying everyone feels that way, and I, I most certainly see in my own life that not everyone sees themselves like that, but I know a lot of people have a hard time comparing themselves to everything they see from technology that is just overly just grandiose and just ridiculous in, in like the most positive sense. It always shows you the top three, top two people of every field. And so it's hard it to... It forces you to compete. It forces you to play into this system that everyone's been playing into for over 100 years now, you know? It's just now when everyone being so connected, you, you see it more. It, it, it's, you can't it, help but compare. Yeah, you can't help but... It's, it's supposed to kind of help you. It's supposed to kind of incentivize you to be just like them, but so many other people are also trying to be yeah. just like them because so many other people have access to seeing what they can do, you know? It's a rat race. Mm-hmm. Another thing too that um, I think technology, and I don't, I don't, I know we we speak, me and Aiden speak on social media a lot, but I mean technology in and of itself, especially the iPhone. But I think technology has really kind of separated us in a social sense. Where I was talking to my mom on the phone a few days ago about like uh, how a people our age of and of 
younger ages are just so socially anxious and awkward around each other all mm-hmm. the time. And my mom was talking about this group of kids when she was uh, picking up my brother from school or something along those lines. And she was looking at like these sophomores and juniors from high school. High school. They're not even like middle schoolers. High schoolers. And she was saying that like she could tell that they were friends, but none of them could make eye contact with each other. None of them could look each other in the eye without looking at their phone or looking quick or making quick eye contact that, and then looking down at the grass or up in the sky or whatever. And it's crazy to think about that because I see people our age. Well, we're, about, we're almost about to graduate college. And I'll walk past people sometimes and they'll see me from like 70 feet away. But then suddenly they have something they need to check on their phone. It's like, we just talked yesterday and we were cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I have my socially anxious moments. I get awkward sometimes too. So do, everyone does. But it's weird that like, even though we can have a good conversation, I feel like we, at, at any other point in my life and from what I've observed of everyone else's, we are the most awkward or like socially anxious than we have ever been in person. Yes, yeah, that's social media there for you. And I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't feel like this in elementary school. I, 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 I didn't care about what people thought or like what, what I, or what I looked like. I just lived, you know? And I, not to say that I don't do it anymore, but I feel like everyone kind of keeps it on the back of their head a little bit more now, Everyone's which is just conscious. It's just terrible though. Like you could be conscious and not, you know, be so critical of yourself or, or what you look like or what people are going to say about you. Like that's just, that's a cynical way of looking at things, you know, just yeah. live. Comparison's the thief of joy. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was just going to, talk about how technology I, I think it's had some sort of effect on us socially in the in the importance of that isn't just like to say like hey guys let's stop being w- like we're awkward the point is is like i think we all we need socialization like and i don't mean just like talking like we are right now sure that's one thing but like we it, it's important to have good friendships and connections with people because it, it grounds us and makes us you learn a lot from it but then also like you kind of feel like oh you know like i'm not you know, other people feel these things, you know, like a lot of these things mm. that people don't want to talk about, you know, like, I don't know, taboo conversations or like, I don't know, some sort of insecurities or like, you know, anything, you know, you can have those conversations with your friends and you gain a lot from it. it that Those conversations might last you a few days or weeks or months, you know, but you know, when, when you're not, when you feel socially anxious, you don't feel as comfortable opening up to people or having yeah. any sort of in-depth conversation. So... I mean, yeah. I mean, that that's like a multifaceted point that has to do with like social media, like you said. And then I also just think the competitiveness of our society it goes back to the whole, I feel like, American individualism of it, you know, where everyone is so almost pitted against each other, whether they realize it or not, in the sense of like they're comparing each other how they look, how they dress, what internships they're applying to, how lengthy their LinkedIn profile is, how, how, side tangent, but I fucking hate when people go on LinkedIn and be like, I am so happy, oh I am so God. thankful for so-and-so <laughs> at BlackRock who fucking <laughs> approved my internship for yeah. the summer of 2023. It's just you're, you're, it's you're, like, you're, you're yeah. worshiping the ground that they walk on. I think it's stupid. But just all of that competitiveness leads us to be just anxious as a result, even if you even with even with people that you are close with, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's very evident in our American society, but like with regards to the rest of the world, I don't know how it operates um, in that sense. But like, I think it's more I think this whole I think it's evident that this whole like, individualism thing is like a Western concept. Mm, for sure. But like it's it's very clear that it just it's not the it's not how we're supposed it's not how we're wired you yeah, know what i mean no i was in the philippines over break and prior to that in september i deleted instagram and a lot of my other social media so i got to the philippines with just like nothing i had my phone but i had like no purpose for it there's no nothing to check there's no one to check on really so i just got a chance to interact with my cousin and send a bunch of the locals and what i could say is is that they're happy yeah like they're they're not wealthy like we are and like yeah they're certainly not wealthy and they don't have the career opportunities that we do but they're like they're just so much happier than we are mm-hmm. like i i couldn't understand it i was like how are you guys like so jovial about like where you're living right now yeah and it's it's the simple like fact that they're not always comparing themselves to other people 
and that they come from a collectivist culture as opposed to the individualistic one that we come from, where we're always trying to like prove that we're someone special here through external means like um, like LinkedIn posts, job opportunities, internships. We're always trying to like boost ourselves with these external achievements that we forget what's really important to us, like family and uh, things of that sort, relationships, mm-hmm. deep talks, like the real human connection, not some job posting from like BlackRock. Yeah. Like that's, sure, it's a great achievement to have to. Not sure, if you, not sure for BlackRock in particular, but. I, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm messing that's with like you. every finance major's dream though. Like yeah. getting an internship from BlackRock is like, oh, hell yeah. Like, An evil company. Elite company. Evil, but amazing. We can do a whole episode on BlackRock, dude. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're evil. quite evil. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still work for them, though, yeah. no doubt. That's like my dream. I don't know what that is. Investment company. Oh. They just invest in awful shit. Numbers, numbers, numbers. Yeah. Numbers, numbers, all the time. Digits, zero, ones, one, zero. But it was, it was just like truly a, a humbling experience to get over there, and they thought I was going to be like this, this loud American, but I had like a lot to learn from mm-hmm. them, honestly. And I mean, these—I mean, people in that area. I mean, like, they just don't think the way that we think because a, we are all from the northeast megalo- megapolis, which is like the largest string of cities in the entire world, mm-hmm. where everything is so competitive. Everyone is always racing to do things. It's, I think it's like from Boston to DC is like the stretch of it. It's like Boston, Newark, New York, uh, Wilmington, Philly, Baltimore. There's no way that's that's the biggest strip. It is. And in the world, though, Yes, it's the largest. Like the Chinese coast. They, mm-hmm. they have so many huge cities. But they're so spread out. Oh. Yeah, this is like it's where it's it's like the most densely populated strip of cities, and it's all within like a 300-mile hmm. uh, area. But, like, we're all inherently so competitive with one another that we don't, like, stop and smell the roses. You know yeah. what I mean? There's, there's no appreciation for the simple things. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of put on the back burner. And I think that's one of the main differences between, and I think individualistic culture in the sense that we see it is more of an American thing yeah. than just a Western world thing. Because, Mac, your experiences in Belgium led you to see all these different people and how they think and how they view uh, Americans, right? Yes. Yeah, like, definitely. Um I mean, when, when we came, there's definitely a big stereotype where the B- Belgians and all, all other Europeans in particular, they would always assume that we were just going to be loud, stupid, really poor with geography, kind of in their own that, world. That's true, though. And the worst part is, is, like, it's true. Yeah. It's true. I, 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 I came in, I'm, I'm like, I'm a patriot to some, to some degree, more so than I think other people. I love America. But I'm also not stupid enough or ignorant enough to not say that we're perfect. No, not and at all. And I noticed I had this really kind of like revolutionary point while I was abroad, and we were in, in downtown Louvain, Audemars, and we met these Americans. And one was like from Florida, and the other one was from like I don't know, and I don't care. And we met them, and we were having a conversation, and we we're all in the circle. And there was like those two, those two Americans, and then there was like a Belgian, Italian, I don't know, a Dutch and someone else, and we were having a conversation. And then my, my friend Liriam as well. And then uh, I was just talking to him, but I was kind of just watching these, like, four or five people speak. But two of them were American, like, three or four, however many so were European. And over the course of 20 minutes, it was, like, 85% just the Americans talking. And I don't – I, I could – whatever they were talking about, they would, they would just talk the most and talk the loudest – and I don't even know if what they're saying was true or if it had any relevance to the conversation or if, if they were just talking about themselves. But because I was talking to my friend, the point is, is it's kind of true. Like we and, and what I took away from that scenario wasn't that we're loud or that we talk a lot. Is that like we want to it seems like they just want to prove something. And they cared about themselves. Very egocentric, yeah. very egocentric. And the Europeans from at least from the Northwest and Western Europe, um, that I experienced, they're not like that at all. And like they, they don't ask unless you, they don't ask unless you, you bring up the question. You know, they don't answer unless you answer, and they don't speak until something's relevant. Mm. And I think that that's that's very important because if I'm just speaking on, for the purpose of me just talking Making about my noise. feelings, that doesn't benefit anyone around me. Yeah, it's very it's very center based. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's selfish, but it's very center based. Well, I think that comes from the fact that. 
the world media is oversaturated with American media, American perspectives, all Americanism, and we are a part of the most powerful nation in the world that we just inherently think that we're better than every other nation. And we think that everyone wants to know about what it's like living here because we think everybody wants to live there. Yeah, but there's, that's also, there's also some truth in that. I mean, I met a lot the, of people where yeah, they were just I'm not, fascinated I'm not saying, that I was yeah, and I'm three about, hours away from New York City. I know, but like to your point of like them not talking, it's like I guess there's a time and place to have those conversations. But like mm-hmm. if, if all... Americans want to talk about as being from America and how great America is and how everybody is like, you need to come to America. Everyone comes to America. It's like, yeah, okay, we know. Like, we see it in your movies. We see it in your TV shows. We all know about the Super Bowl. We all know about everything. Like, like whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't know as much as you think, though. I'm sure they yeah. don't. But well, it's, Most of what they get is stereotypes. And yeah. What yeah. They see on the news. And a lot of people Well, don't. like, when I went and visited you, that girl, I forget her name, she looked at me and she went... So you're from America, and she's like, she's, you know, I was like, yeah, and I was like, yeah, I went like, I, I've been in America my whole life. She's like, so like, has your school ever been shot up before? And I was like, what? <laughs> she's, I was like, well, we came close yeah. that one time. We, I'm mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean, there was a threat, but like, but like, come on now, like, yeah, that's been yeah. ridiculous. Has your school ever been shot? Up? Yeah, the she first... said that to me, plain face. I'm like, what? I'm like, <laughs> the first question I got asked when I was when I when uh, the first night we went out when we got to Lubin was the girl asked me if I owned a gun. Oh like, wow! I was like, wow, no. I, <laughs> kind of put things in perspective i was like no i don't but yeah word it's just like everybody from america are cowboys with their guns you know what i mean like like, but i mean and that's just like you said like stereotypes but like i also think that they do come from a bit of truth yeah exactly exactly and i think that's why that's like the reasoning behind like your whole like talk about how they those the floridian and whoever else that person was were like being very egocentric in that conversation you know yeah they also one thing i also did pick up on too is that they they just weren't knowledgeable they're Mm -hmm. speaking about things they thought were true and they didn't even question whether or not it was true Mm -hmm. like that's i'm not speaking on behalf of all americans but at least those two in that situation they were just speaking on what they felt whereas like the the majority of europeans that i knew while i was there they would speak on things that they knew were generally true and then when they did know something was generally true it was a discussion question it was sorry discussion conversation where they were like inviting of other opinions. I also noticed how um, a lot of my uh, my roommate, in particular, he was Hungarian, and some of my other close friends, they would always tell me that like when they would watch other Americans speak, they would always see that we constantly fight to be the one to speak. We're constantly oh. being the one to fight to speak. That's deep. That's, that's it's deep true. Because I, indicative I of find myself things. doing that. It's yeah. true. It's yeah. true. Even yeah, even for us. And he said like all you guys that are not yeah. The Americans, they, they, they fight to speak. And that's why you see so many of us constantly interrupting each other. Every single one of us does it. I, yeah. <laughs> I do it sometimes, and it, it, it annoys myself that I even do it sometimes. But I do it because, like, I'm trying to add to the conversation, and I forget. And, like, my worry is that if I don't say it now, I'll forget about the point. But the point still stands. Like, just shut up when someone's talking. And then, also, if someone's going to talk for a while, it understands it, it, it's it's understandable as to why other people want to interrupt them because you don't want the person to keep on talking too long. But you just say what you need, keep it co- short and condensed, and just let the other people talk. And he would, and I think that all ties back to like we all just want to talk. We all want to speak what we think. It's all I. I, I think this. I think this. I think this. You know, it's just uh, there's some. I I just I don't understand that in terms of a philosophical sense because it's like I'm never gonna learn as much as I would if I didn't talk to people. Exactly. Yeah. They need that different perspective. And I want to go back to the whole collectivist culture thing. I think it's very valuable to live in a collectivist culture. There's a saying in Japan, the nail that sticks up is the first one to be hammered down. I think it goes against human nature to be part of an individualistic culture like we are in America, mm-hmm. where your your entire own entity, like you think different from your parents at 18, blah, 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 you go off on your own. That's a very new age American concept in my opinion. And being from a collectivist culture, I can say, like, I'm one of four other siblings, three other siblings. I'm one of four. And, you know, we were all treated the same. Like, I wasn't special because I was the first son. I have two sisters, one brother. Like, no one was treated less than I was. I had to I had to earn everything. I had to work my two jobs, and then I had to gain the respect of my parents. Everything, everything was earned, and I was, I was just a blank slate until I created something for myself. 
Mm-hmm. In an individualistic culture, you're born with that that natural right that you are some special and unique somebody, even though you haven't done anything. And another cultural observation I made while I was in the Philippines was, like, if you're going somewhere with your family, they expect you to go. Like, if there's an event, it can't just be, like, your mom and, like, whatever sister. You can't just, like, say, I don't feel like going. I'm not going to go. Like, you are obligated to go. Or it's going to look bad on your parents. Like, there's there's a sort of, like, a familial contract mm-hmm. that can't yeah. be broken. Like, it's going to look horrendous if I don't show up to something, even though I could have. Because it's, it's like a blatant sign of disrespect. So there's a system in place that holds you accountable for your actions pertaining to your family. And I think that accountability is something that's missing inherently in an in individualistic culture where everything is centered upon you. So your mistakes are entirely your own. But when you have a familial collectivist culture, suddenly your actions have weight and there are consequences for other people as well. And so you have a greater accountability. Yeah. One thing that I've always questioned, um, I don't want to say if it's just an American thing, is like we emphasize so strongly every you, – you made a great point about how here in an individualistic society, everyone's born with the natural right to be like interesting and, and, and a unique person. I've always questioned that from the start. And I'm not saying that just on behalf of myself. I'm saying that for everyone. Like what makes me more unique than any one of you guys or any one of you guys more unique than ourselves? Like there are things that are unique about ourselves – but it's, but it's not heavily pressed, you know? Like, it's it's not as pressed in, like, other collectivist societies. And I think, and this is just one topic, but I think there's other things that go into it. I think part of the reason why we're such an individualistic, um, individu- we, we're such, or we, we're pushed to be individualistic people is because of a capitalistic society in the sense where I think a lot of musical artists and pop stars and brands push us to try to be individualistic in our own way in the saying that like it's cool to be yourself and it's cool to be individualistic and we hear that so many times we're like duh yeah it's cool to be yourself but what does that mean what does that mean like does that mean that you go out and you buy the clothes that you think fit you does that mean that you listen to frank ocean instead of kanye does that mean that you listen to sinatra instead of nat king cool like what does that mean about what I can see from a behavior standpoint is that I think what a lot of people think is being individualistic is consuming in their own way, but it's still just consuming. Yeah, there's nothing created. You know, I've always thought that message of, you know, just be yourself and that's the best thing you can be is always misinterpreted. I think what the intention was is be the best version of yourself that you can be. Like study hard, go to the gym, do all that it's like i in my opinion it's a shame for someone to grow old without seeing what their young body is truly capable of and that's that's my motivation to like you know hit the gym as hard as i do but i think you shouldn't be yourself you should always be striving to be more than what you are i mean i guess i think that's twofold i mean like yeah you should be striving to be better but like your own self and your definition of what better is can be very different. Oh, it's from very subjective. Person, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, to your end, like, that could be, like, that could mean um, going to the gym to see how your peak athletic performance you are at the age of 21 or 20. And for another, it can be, like, oh, well, for the best version for myself, it's, like, I go and I try to become this actor or something. You know what I mean? It's, like, I try... The best version of myself is being like the next DiCaprio or Hathaway. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's very subjective. Yeah, you know? it's very subjective in that sense. But I think you should always be striving. You should yeah. never be content with just how things are. Until you have like a family and yeah, you then should, you're just yeah. like an old happy old man, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but you should there should always be, you know, acceptance of who you are. Mm-hmm. But and who you are is just being true to yourself in yeah. a sense, you know. Though I mean, all of, like what you were talking about, Mac, where all those companies are like, be like Nike, be like and shit like that. All those like athletic companies with their promos about like be yourself and whatnot. That's just marketing. Yeah, you know, like I mean, it, it, there I guess there's some truth to it, but they're just hopping on that con- that 
topic and it's a feel like, good topic. be who you are yeah. by buying my socks <laughs> you know like, like <laughs> buy like, my underwear like, you look at serena williams being herself using our nike wristband you can like, be like her yeah, exactly if you buy this wristband you'll only be good at tennis if you buy our tennis but, exactly, but see there you go you'll only be good that is just them pushing that narrative mm. yeah that's just them forcing you forcing you to believe that you won't be good at something unless you buy their products which isn't true but that's just that's just them brainwashing you i think that also ties into like the capitalistic side of it too yeah I mean, like when i was in europe like sure there was brands that were more popular than others but no one really cared at all mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like they, they they dress better than us in my opinion and they don't care about brands not nearly as much and um it, it's not like a sociable it's not like a social uh agenda Mm-hmm. It's not like you know how here we see brands that people love. Like girls go crazy here in America about brands. The girls there, are like sure they like some brands. Sure they'll have like, you know, a designer of some things. But like you know, you a lot of their clothes are just you don't see the tag, you don't see the brand. If it fits you well and you like it, that's what it is. Because mm-hmm. for them, I think it's more function over form. Like yeah, naturally as people, I think we crave a sense of belonging. Yes, yes. And I think that's where the whole uh, brand thing really stems from. If you're looking at it in a very primal sense, yeah. you have this thing, so you belong to this brand, which means you come from this status, and you were able to buy this, or like what, you associate, Patagonia. or like you associate yourself with that brand. Yeah. It's like, oh, I like this brand because they've said maybe six commercials that I liked what they were pushing, and I think that relates to me. Mm-hmm. It's like some like you can, I don't know. It's about a bad example. We could like relate to like Zodiac or something. It's like, oh, this relates to me for reasons that I don't know why, but I like it. <laughs> It's like okay, yeah. You know? It's like it's like um, how, like with the zodiacs and stuff like that. I mean, that's not scientific at all. That's just pseudoscience. Yeah. But it's like people have broken up these groups and months into like specific attributes and the way that you act. That and it's been so conditioned in our society to accept it that when people see, like, oh, like for example, I'm a Sagittarius. I don't know what the fuck my attributes are with, when it comes to that. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't follow it. But like other people be like, oh, he's such a Capricorn because he's so like <laughs> boisterous and loud. And then, but, but, and, then and, and then like, but like it goes back to like how, because that person said that now everyone else is like, hmm, wait, I have Capricorn and I tend to be boisterous. And then it just, it's like now the entire society has come to accept that these over a month long periods are are for specific attributes and people act a certain way based on how they're born, which is not true. But it's, I don't think most people believe it. There's it's, a good you, chunk that do. I'd, you'd, you'd, you'd be, be surprised. surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised, but like it's not it's not popular enough to point to, to the point where like if someone says something and I clown them for it, it's not gonna be like I just committed a hate crime. Well yeah, but like it's like it's it's like it's like well, like in my classes, for example, it's, I have like two. I've had like two or three classes now where like the TA or like the professor would be like, "What's your zodiac sign?" Like when you're introducing oh, you in the serious? beginning of the year, and I'm like, "I'm a Sagittarius." I don't, I don't, I don't That's know ridiculous. what that means. Oh, and then they'll be like, they'll be, "I'm like, hey, I made I'm a Sagittarius." I'll be like, "Oh, okay." And I'll be like, "What the fuck is that mean?" <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I'm a, I've gotten this so many times. I think out of any, I, I've noticed this. Like, um, like so, I'm I'm a Gemini. And whenever I tell anyone that I'm a Gemini, oh, I I, I've never, yeah, I know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm legitimately not even kidding you. I've had people that have come up to me like it, like I don't even know where, like I, I've done it, I don't know, at a, some place or some place in downtown or something. And they'll say, "What are you?" And I'm like, first of all, I could literally don't care, but I'll say it just for the means of trying to be nice and social. And I'll say I'm a Gemini, and they'll literally like, I've had one person just turn around, like, "What is wrong with you?" <laughs> What is wrong with you? <laughs> like that is utterly ridiculous. I, I think it's it's completely arbitrary, and I, yeah. I think you could agree with that. It's just humans attaching meaning to something yeah, that's meaningless. Exactly. It's like when people get tattoos that mean completely fucking nothing, like the whole butterfly. Like, oh, one day I'll I'll sprout like a butterfly, yeah. and they'll they'll give it meaning later, even though it means nothing mm-hmm. then. Like it's it's completely arbitrary, but people will attach meaning to it how they see fit. Yeah. Like. I'm a Pisces, and it's like, oh, he's moody, and it's like, well, yeah. John, you're a Pisces. I, I, <laughs> I wish you told me that sooner. Fuck off, man. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you one thing about a Pisces. Exactly. Like, it's I just tell you those are in anyone. those who are in the know, which are a lot more than you think, are in the know, and those who aren't aren't. 
You know, I that's what it boils so. down to. And I want to start like if people start asking me what my jet, what my sign is, I'm gonna start when I when intern and they react negatively. I'm gonna go up to them and ask what their sign is and just react negatively no matter what it is, yeah. even if it's my own sign. Just be like, what the fuck? Oh like, like you, you start questioning their knowledge yeah. on it. You're a rising opal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ocean the, and, and, and all of a sudden, flavorful. all of a sudden, like two or three years ago, <laughs> two or three years ago, these rising moons started popping up. It's yeah, like, what, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, like, yo, what's your rising sun? Aquarius. Oh, your it's moon. Like, Gemini. Oh, well, that's an interesting <laughs> mix for sure. We'll have to. We'll watch your. We'll watch your career with great interest. It's like, like <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite that's Gatorade? Good. Glacier White. Oh, oh yeah. God, he's one sorry. Of those. He doesn't like red. Yeah. What is it, wrong with him? That's why I. I'm, he must be disabled. Jesus. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the uh, the Myers Brig, the MPTI. Yeah. MBTI. It's like a uh, Mac. I think you're the the ENFJ. Or I have no idea. I'm I like would. I'm like ENFJ, FP or F- something. Yeah, some yeah, shit. I, remember. I, don't know. I just remember I was the um, I was basically what you were, but like the extroverted. Yeah, the version. extroverted version. I, I, mine was just called the commander. I, that's yeah, all my. Mine's version. the architect. It's architect. basically the same I, thing. I it's just was. you're extroverted. I forget that. Yours is the campaign. I, I don't know if that's go. right though, because I find myself introverted a lot. But like I I am extroverted, but I I'm also very introverted. It depends on the it depends on like the group. I think. Well, what I will say. About the MBTI, which I've learned about in my research yeah, about this every class. Every psychologist says everything's not true. That, but but, but, <laughs> but there are say. other tests that have more validity over this one. Yeah, of course. You know, the a, MBTI that's a, that's is a fucking... for 100 years about But, every but this test, the Meyer-Briggs test, has existed for over 100 years. Yeah, but it's a, it's a 10-minute survey. You know, like, but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you can't, it's, not, it's not as... It, 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 I'm not saying it fits the same standardized definition as, like, zodiac signs where it's like this or based on what you click it's like oh you're this but like it's the way that they bring it down like those ENFPJ whatever each letter stands for a word yeah. right and each word is supposed to be an attribute that is about yourself so they all they did was just assign meaning to those words and then just made the meanings broad enough where it can encompass large swaths of people. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It's difficult to quantify these yeah. things. Like, I think it's good generally. I'd agree that uh, what I characterize as the INTJ or whatever is it's pretty spot on. Yeah. But I also think that it's hard to quantify someone's entire being into a 10-minute survey, mm-hmm. especially if the person is yeah. not sure who they are yeah. and is answering based off, like, I don't know, what they feel is the correct answer mm-hmm. or what they feel they want to get. I will say, though, I think that some questions, they can they can collect a lot more information than you think. Mm-hmm. Like, I think certain questions can differentiate people into groups and then, like, slowly but surely along the 10 minutes of questions can kind of categorize people into relatively accurate means. I'm not supporting this one. I'm just saying I think we talk about ourselves like we're like incredibly like unique and specific and we are to some degree, but I think getting from a clean slate to that specificity of a person can be done with not as many questions as you think. Hmm. Yeah. What kind of of questions? Like metaphysical ones? I wouldn't... um, Questions that don't directly ask what they're getting at but like you can ask a question about some like a lot of good questions is like situational based and it's like what would you do here what would you favor over one or another oh and then that could say like oh if you favor a over b (coughs) maybe we'll keep that in mind and then we'll ask two or three questions later on that relate to that and if they match up then there's something we're on to right now and you kind of keep on asking questions on the further part of the survey Mm -hmm. to specify like the categories so like, like two prong two prong questions kind of kind yeah of. okay that does make sense it's like the, the Rorschach test where they assign patches of of ink to like emotional states and stuff oh, like yeah, that I've seen oh that god before. yeah I don't know about that <laughs> well that's that like like that's not really like like I've learned also that the Rorschach test is also not a valid form of testing anymore but it can still be used as an Indi- yeah. Indication of some sort of thing that's wrong. I think that's more of an indication of how you feel about the world and how, how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I think it'd be funny if you went in, didn't you do that, and someone showed you like this beautiful butterfly, and I was like, death. Or like <laughs> something just, re- they'd be like, oh my God. And you just completely make it all up, and they're taking it so seriously. Like, hmm, this person feels this way. Like, like writing these really analytical notes, and you're just like saying random words, and they take <laughs> it so seriously. Yeah. Well, I mean, that could be said for any test. Yeah. Really. yeah at the end of the day, it can. 
but it is very hard to when it comes to placing personality and this is what we're trying to get at in one of my other psych classes about personality you can't quantify it yeah. you can't no matter how hard you try it's all first of all the person who's trying to quantify it for you cannot see into your head you have a when you're when you're saying to the person that's quantifying it whether it be a machine like a program like a survey or a therapist or anyone who's trying to learn more about your personality and how you behave you're going to have some sort of bias in how you respond even if it's not a, a strong bias, it's still you think about what you're going to say before you say it. So in turn, you may not reveal the whole truth, you know, even no matter how small. I mean, you can like the therapist or the survey can get pretty damn close or, or very, very accurate. But at the end of the day, it's not 100 percent accurate. No, you know, nothing. Ever nothing's is. ever going to be 100 percent accurate. And who's to say that every single person knows 100 percent of themselves? I consider yeah. myself way more conscious than most people, and I don't know everything about myself. Well, yeah. yeah. How would you know? And how would you even say things are true about yourself? Well, yeah. I mean, or are they true about thought? That changes. Are they true about behavior? That changes. So what even is true? The criteria of saying something is even true about themselves is that's even debatable. And that's why it's very hard to narrow down personalities into categories or or zodiac signs. I think really personality is completely. I think it it's the majority of it has to be dependent on behavior, because. If you're if you think a certain way and you just don't act that certain way, that makes no sense. Hmm. Like that doesn't make sense, and that's almost like you're not. You can say that you're not being yourself, but it's in, like in what sense do you like? What I mean is like personality, right? I think personality should be. I think it should be based upon behavior, strong like more more so strongly than than like how I feel in your head. One, you can't. You you just don't know. You can't like quantify that. You know, you just don't know. Like I can say I'm this and I'm that. But I could act completely different. What am I? Do, 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 That's true. Are you, are I do you, find myself doing that a lot because yeah. yeah. I'm a very deeply emotional person. You wouldn't same, expect it. Same. But I'm very sentimental. Yeah, very sentimental, very emotional. But I behave completely contradictory to that point. Yeah, me too. I always try to keep collected keep and rational. Going. Yeah. Yeah. But um, well, do you consider one last thing? I just want to ask mm-hmm. you, Matt. Do you consider yourself a behaviorist? Mm. You made that whole point about how it, fall, it falls down to behavior. Oh, I, okay, so I, okay, those are two different things. I think in personality, I think it's better to assert th- to look at things from behavior first. But do I consider myself? I I consider myself human uh, humanist. Yeah, because the whole reason why I got into psychology, and don't get me wrong, I think behaviorism is very much so important. I think it solves a lot, like the majority of other different fields. But I would consider myself a humanist. That's the whole reason why I got into psychology is because it wasn't because I was interested in psychology. Sure, I, I, I am interested in psychology, but I more so was interested in people and somehow trying to figure out a way to help them mm-hmm. because I always found myself uh, pr- pretty good with understanding and uh, seeing through people's motives and their personality. And I always just thought that if I could do that, why not help people that can't do that? Yeah. And so, like, that was always my motive, and so that's why I got into psychology. So I'd say, first and foremost, I'm like, an, I came from an optimistic point of view, hence humanism. So I would say that first, but I would most definitely use behaviorism practically. Interesting. I come from the complete opposite view. I'm very pessimistic, and I have to, what's it called? I think I'm fighting a losing battle with this just because I try to bring an answer to everything. Everything has a reason for being. And I can't wrap my head around the concept that people do things because they feel like doing them, Mm -hmm. not because they have a duty or obligation to do them. Yeah. Like, there always has to be a reason for me why someone did that, whether it be because they were raised to think that was right or it was an impulse decision. Like, there always has to be a reason for being for me. And things that can't be quantified just drive me crazy because I spend my whole life looking for answers to these these questions that I ask myself. And I know that with every answer, I lose a little bit of hope in, like, what should be because the truth becomes far more muddled because it's not all black and white. And, like, Sal told me that I'd make a great psych major, and I don't think that's true just because I understand people. But I, I hate it. <laughs> like, I, I hate understanding, like, to this level. Yeah. Like, that people are just just sentient sacks of meat. <laughs> like, it, I mean, that's, yeah. That's really all it is. When, <laughs> when you put it into a, a purely, like, pessimistic and objectified 
like stance, mm-hmm. we're nothing more than just like the sum of our urges. Yeah. People truly do do things because they just feel like doing them. And that it just, it, it, it like boggles my mind to think about. But I think there's a reason why people do things. Yeah. You, you, you like for you, it, it, you see it as like, you want to know the answer to things, but some things is hard to just know the answer for, but I can, t- I can assure you that it comes from a reason. You, people do things all the time without even knowing it, but there's a reason why they did it. At that moment of, like, let's just say if you got drunk somewhere and like you say, why'd you climb, try to climb up that tree? They'd be like, I don't know. But in that moment, there was something in their head that told them they wanted to. And you can dissect why they decided to do that from past histories or past shows they've watched or, or, or maybe like a confidence or insecurity about not being able to do something. Like th- there's a reason as to why people do everything. You may not remember it, or you may not even understand it in a logical sense, but there's a reason to do everything. Hmm. I mean, why would you Fuck, do anything yeah. if there's no motive to do it? I, I don't think, I'm sure you do that sometimes, but like, that's not, you can't even apply that to the way that we're thinking because that's not even, that's not motive-based. That's not rational. We're, me, we're, we're assuming people think rationally. Yeah. To me, my reason for doing things is what I call existential debt to my parents. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just, uh, it's a very pessimistic view in that I have this debt that I owe to them. They've sunk too much into like private middle school, then prep, and then to Loyola now for me to just like give up and quit and run away into the woods or yeah do something crazy. But what generation are your parents immigrant? Uh, my, would you consider it first gen? My dad moved when he was three. Yeah, my mom immigrated when she was nine, so my mom's first gen too. I'm also Pisces. No, actually, you, no, we're the first generation. Oh. Because we were born here, but our parents came from other countries. Mm. So that right there in your head is the immigrant mentality. Yeah, we have we have that that duty. Yeah. I guess duty driven mindset that mm-hmm. I think a lot of, I guess second third generation Americans kind of lack. Yeah. Yo, way to call me out like that, bro. (laughs) I'm like six. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok, as well as subscribe on YouTube so that you can watch the corresponding videos. Your continued support is appreciated, and I have a lot of fun things in store for the future. Have a great rest of your day.